Welcome to Waxcast Radio, the official radio station of the Get It On Vinyl Revolution. Welcome to Get It On Vinyl Waxcast number two. We have had a great response to our website since launching earlier this week, and as promised, we will be delivering a new Waxcast every Wednesday evening. In Waxcast number one, we discussed the three enemies of physical music and the independent record store. Those three enemies are the record labels, the illegal downloader, and the blind consumer. Tonight, we will be discussing enemy number one, the record labels. Now, before we go any further, we want to clarify that when we say record labels, we are referring to the giant powerhouse corporate labels, the big four. We're talking about Universal, Sony, Warner, and EMI. There are hundreds of amazing big and small independent labels who we love and support. Most of these small independent labels are pro-physical music and huge supporters of independent record stores. Summing up all the mistakes that the big four labels have made would take an obscene amount of time. The list is endless. They are by far the biggest contributors to their own demise by making monumental mistakes and rather than learning from them and backpedaling, they just made the mistakes bigger and bigger and continue to dig their own grave. Some are still digging. Others have learned, but it's way too late and they will never return to their days of glory. At the top of the list of mistakes is the killing of the single. For those of you who are under the age of 25, the idea of the single was something that was dead before you had a chance to enjoy it. From the early days of vinyl, the single has always been a way to promote an upcoming album. A song was released ahead of the album and sold at a reduced price. These were commonly given away at shows, sent to radio stations, used for fan club promotion, but were always available at your local independent record store. These served a purpose beyond promotion. They were collectible, affordable, and frequently had rare or live tracks on the B-side. Most importantly, they offered the a la carte model to the music buyer. Don't want to buy the album? Want to just buy an individual song? Great! You can buy just the single. This business model survived through all formats. 45s were sold for less than a dollar. Cassette singles were sold for a buck. And even in the early days of the CD, the single was available for just a few bucks. The system worked. Individual songs sold. For some, it wet the appetite. For those who were not impressed, the sale was done and they had the individual songs they wanted. It was a great alternative to the music consumer, but like so many things that worked for the consumers, it didn't work for the big four record labels. The only problem with the single was that the record labels weren't making enough money. As the CD gained acceptance and the players became more affordable, the big record companies did what they do best. They got greedy. So they killed the single. In what seemed like an overnight change, the single disappeared from the shelves. The markup on the full albums was far better. Prices continued to rise. 10, 12, 16, 20 dollars for a single disc. They were determined to push whatever buttons they had to in order to get the most money out of the consumer. But that wasn't all they did. The pressure to produce albums quickly was placed on the artists. The system was simple. Produce an album of 16 songs, find two hits, and fill the rest with mediocre filler. 
put out the album, promote the hell out of it, and charge as much as you can. Forget the art. Fuck the consumer. Cash the check. Perhaps the biggest victim of this formula was not the consumer, but the loss of the album concept. Forget the concept album. Forget the story the artist was trying to tell. Forget the message. Forget the art. Fuck the consumer. Cash the check. And for a little while, the system worked. It had to. Do you want that hit song? Buy the full album. The consumer had nowhere else to turn. Suddenly, the compilation albums were back with a vengeance, dominating the late-night infomercials. The Now That's What I Call Music series took off. It filled the need for buying the hit songs. Unfortunately, these were around the same cost of the other albums. The markup was the same. After all, EMI was the brainchild behind that. Heaven forbid you could leave the record store without spending at least $15 on a single disc. The consumer can only be pushed so far. Long before Napster came on the scene, MP3s were being swapped on IRC and other chat networks. Outright theft justified out of frustration. Now, the illegal downloading market is something that will have its own series of wax casts. As we stated in our first wax cast, there is no justification in the theft of intellectual property. But the consumer had found a way around the system, and it was not only gaining popularity, but acceptance, despite it being outright illegal. Beyond the illegal downloader came the solution. The legal download. Individual tracks available for purchase. The a la carte system. Pay only for the tracks you want, and pay just 99 cents apiece. Apple did nothing revolutionary by introducing iTunes. It's the same business model. They simply filled a void, and the record labels that were bleeding red ink in the Napster and LimeWire age finally woke up and opened their catalogs. Some argue the artists make up for the loss of revenue in quantity. Yes and no. Many hands are still in the pot. Apple takes the largest cut, the labels get their cut, and the people who actually should profit from the sale, the musicians and the writers, are left to fight over what's left. The pennies don't add up like they do in the world of physical releases. Furthermore, as many are learning, when you buy a download, you are simply buying a license to play it. You do not own it. The only way to own your music is to buy it in physical form. This isn't made up by Apple naysayers. It's right there in the user agreement. But that is a whole other wax cast subject. The question arises, if tomorrow we woke up and the record label started producing singles in mass quantities again, would they sell? Or has iTunes taken this whole market? The argument is two-sided. Some argue that the sheer convenience of the digital download outweighs the need for actual ownership. Others argue that extra tracks and collectability and actual ownership make the trip to purchase the physical copy well worth it. There is a bright side. Many of the smaller independent labels have chosen to give the consumer the option. Suddenly, singles and rare B-sides are being pressed on 7-inch vinyl and being sold through the band's website, or even better, exclusively with physical copies purchased at independent record stores. It may be a hipster movement, but it's a market that is working for many, and it only seems to be growing. If the big four record labels were smart, they would jump on board. That's going to do it for this week. 
New WaxCast will be up every Wednesday, and of course you can always access previous WaxCast through the archive. If you would like to comment on this week's WaxCast, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at sideb at getitonvinyl.com. The revolution is underway, and we are glad to have you on board. Thanks for listening.